HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. You have tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, here in the back of Roberta's Pizza, located in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. On air, on The Farm Report every week, we talk about the nuts and bolts of the food production system here in the U.S. and beyond. Today is no different. I am joined in the studio by a good friend and very special guest, Mary McCarthy, the Director of Operations for Heritage Foods USA. Welcome to the studio, Mary. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, as you know, we are um, continuing our coverage um, in anticipation of Slow Meat, which is happening out in Denver, Colorado in early June, hosted by Slow Food USA. And of course, uh, um, no conversation around meat would be complete without our friends at Heritage Foods. Um, for folks who don't know, why don't you give us the primer? Uh, what is Heritage Foods, other than the founder of our radio station? <laughs> right. Uh, Heritage Foods is essentially a, a primarily a meat company. Um, so we provide rare and heritage breeds of meat. So breeds that have been left out by the industrial market. They don't put on weight fast enough for um, farmers to make money on the commodity market. So we buy them from small farmers and sell them both to restaurants wholesale across the country. And we also have a mail order program, which is sort of where I spend most of my time. And so we ship those rare breeds of meat around the country to, to home t- homes. So you definitely have a, a little bit of a background in food, but more of a background maybe in science. Would that be fair? I mean, how did yeah. you end up uh, at the Heritage yeah. Spot? I actually, I think saying that I have a little bit of a background in food is generous. Um, we are a generous network. Yeah, I appreciate that. I worked at Chuck E. Cheese when I was 16 and uh, <laughs> moved up to a grocery store after that. So that's my background in food. But the reason I ended up at Heritage Foods is because because of this background in science. I actually studied um, biodiversity in algae in college in um, the Great Lakes. I'm from, I'm from Michigan. Woo-woo! Yep. Midwesterners. Um, and so, so yeah, I 
was studying these algae and so much of what was happening in the Great Lakes about the health of the ecosystem and the water that we drink is directly related to farming practices. And, um, you know, you can see from the, the fertilizers and the pesticides primarily what's happening in the Great Lakes. And so I got really interested in in what we're doing about the way we farm. Um, and so I sort of found Slow Food USA, the folks putting on slow meat, and uh, did some research for them on their project called The Arc of Taste, sort of bringing my science background to them and researching these rare and endangered foods. Uh, and then that brought me to heritage food. So I sort of bring that science background, still learning about the taste words and that kind of a thing. I still ask a lot of advice on how to prepare our meats and that um, that's always really helpful. It's a great learning curve for me, but I think I can also bring this interesting perspective of a science background. So, yeah, I mean, you hear that a lot that, you know, um, livestock is one of the biggest contributors to climate change and has a lot of impacts on the environment. Um, are, are those impacts, are those things changing when we like switch breeds? Do, do with different breeds necessarily come different growing practices? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think um, there are breeds that have been around for generations that were raised on pasture and um, specifically selected to put on weight to, to you know be really good tasting when they're on pasture. Um, and we've just sort of lost those as we started to put more and more grain into the animal diets, particularly talking about beef, but I think it's also very true with pork. Um, and so if we can start to get back to some of these these rare breeds, I think these traditional farming practices of the grazing and the pasture raising will come off a lot better because the animals can do it better than if you stick with the modern breeds on old practices. That doesn't really work very well. So why, um, well, well, not why, I guess like you guys are hosting um, out at Slow Meat, uh, what is it, Breeds and Brews. Tell me, uh, what can we expect? Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. This year at Slow Meat, they're doing a fair that's open to the public on Saturday. And so we we wanted to um, give people the opportunity to taste the different breeds. I think that is one of the biggest ways we can educate consumers. Is that Most people, when I talk to my friends, they don't even realize that there are different breeds of livestock. So having that conversation first and then explaining to people that they live differently and they taste different. And, and it's because of, you know, maybe one pig was made for growing on orchards and the other was made for, you know, being a really good bacon pig or something like that. So... We want to have that conversation with people. Um, so we're really excited to be doing that. We're going to be partnering with a microbrewery in Denver to get people to think about these breeds of meat just like they do a wine and cheese pairing. It should be the exact same thing. It's about the genetics of the animal, how they're raised, where they're raised. That affects the flavor. And we should start talking about those taste notes the same way we do wine. So I know because we share a warehouse space that <laughs> your team has been hosting a lot of these breed tastings for some really like fantastic chefs here in the city and some visitors from out of town. Um, and I'm wondering for you as like someone coming, as you said, a little bit newer to the kind of taste conversation, maybe you can talk a little bit about your first couple of like breed to breed comparison tastings and like, you know, what kind of stuck out at you or surprised you about the way they like tasted or looked or, you know, the, the size differences, like what were some surprises? Yeah, well, I think the first thing that I learned from uh, f 
from from talking to our coworkers about cooking, I, I was handed a, a pair of uh, red wattle pork chops the very first day that I came to work, and I was so intimidated by them because I had never cooked meat that that was that nice. And they just talked to me, salt and pepper on either side, you know, sear them off in a pan and you'll be fine. And And basically what I think we're learning from these tastings is that First of all, all pork is going to taste the same if you overcook it. So you have to be, luckily we have a great chef, Laura, who takes care of us there. But I think some of the other things that we're starting to notice is that that genetics matter. We actually notice differences between some of our Berkshire pork, um, you know, depending on how old the genetics are, how far back they can trace them, that kind of a thing. Um, but it's surprising people, you know, I, I can take taste a difference and I wouldn't say that I have a, a developed palate, uh, necessarily to, to really get that refined taste. But, uh, you know, red wattle does have this like super porky, almost beefy like flavor and, um, Tamworth is a little bit sweeter and, um, it's just really fun to, to hear those. And it's, it's really, it's been great having the chefs come in because they do have that background in the taste. And so we can start to develop those words and help to, to educate our consumers and develop that, that differentiation for them. So the other thing I'm wondering about is when you guys are thinking about bringing new products in or, or working with new stuff. I mean, I know that you have led up some other work with slow food and some more dry goods, but I'm thinking a little bit more about the meat space. Um, for, for farmers who want to move in the direction that of the purveyor of the producers that you're working with, what are kind of things that you're looking for that are going to make it work for the business? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And that's actually something that we're going to try and bring to slow meat a little bit. I think one of the, the voices that is lost, we talk a lot about the farmers and we talk a lot about the chefs and how they're preparing the meat, but they're in the meat world, there really needs to be this in-between, uh, this sort of merchant uh, to to help negotiate with the farmers so that they can get their product up to the best standards um, and so that they can move whole animals. And, and so that's sort of how we see ourselves f- fitting into this slow meat role. So, so I guess to answer your question, I think one of the big things we talk about is consistency. Um, you know, it's not enough to to raise one pig well. We have to figure out how to do it well, how to do it consistently, and a lot of times that comes across in processing. So helping the farmers develop a really good relationship with whatever processor they're using is something that we try really hard to work with them on. Um, and also... Wait, I want to jump in there a little bit. Yeah. A good relationship with a processor. So talk. can you talk a little bit about like why the kind of slaughter and cutting and packaging becomes important when you want to sell the meat? Yeah. For us, we're a mail order company. And so it's always important that our product r- arrives in great condition. And I, th- I think that small farmers are still sort of starting to develop that the understanding of that. Um, actually just had a conversation with a farmer today about it. And selling something at a farmer's market is just a little bit different than online. We need to have that consistency online. We can't change our prices all the time. Um, we can't, we can't adjust quite as well. Not as nimble. Yeah, exactly. And so we need, we need to have, um, that consistency, whether it's consistency in weight, consistency in quality of product. Um, you know, we can't just give someone a discount, uh, because we know them really well or because, you know, the, the, cryo wrapping isn't quite as good. They expect that that will arrive, you know, um, in the best condition possible. So it's so funny, but the cryo packaging is actually one of the biggest issues. Um, and getting processors to understand that is kind of difficult. Sure. Cause I can imagine 
you know, when I am spending what is not an insignificant amount of money right. to have rare breed pork delivered to my door, I want it to open up and like, you know, kind of like little turtle doves to fly out <laughs> right, right, and right. confettis and yeah. um, versus where I've had, I'm at the market and I'm like what I'm getting from that experience. I'm getting like the enrichment of having the producer right in front of me who can explain to me and who can also like react really quickly in that moment. And right. so the standards are kind of different. Do you find that um, certain cuts tend to be more challenging to work with or in that cryo space where you're just like, Ugh, we can't really do that because we can't get a good cryo. Yeah. On it. But bone-in is really hard. Um, I think just about any cut that you can get bone-in. We're really lucky with our friends at Paradise Locker. Um, they do a great job, but uh, the, the bone-in cut is hard. And then actually sort of the bigger you get, there's sort of this, like, size limit. You know, when we get to the, like, 10 or 13-pound roast, those those are just hard to do in the machines, I think. So what happens when you get, like, a popped cryo or something comes in and doesn't look so great? Um, that, that's a great question. Um, we've been able to sort of develop this network of, uh, friends and family, basically. Um, I'll bring it home and, you know, we'll sell it at a discounted rate locally, but we just can't, uh, do that for the customers that are, that are paying full price online. Um, and we also are able to give them out as gifts to chefs that come in or farmers that come in. So we try and, you know, we never want to see these rare animals go to waste. So we're always going to find a home for them. Um, there's no doubt about that. Well, so let's kind of come back to this conversation around um, slow meat. And what do you kind of expect? What are you kind of like looking forward to at the conference? I mean, are there any folks in particular that you're looking to, to really meet or what would a, like kind of a super great time include? Yeah, I actually wasn't able to go to uh, Slow Meat last year and um, this is only their second one. So I, I'm really excited about just seeing all of the people, so many important people in the meat world come together at once. I think that is incredibly powerful, the conversations that you can have there. Um, I, I think I'm most interested in talking to farmers. Um, I think that in the meat world, my impression is that there's been a lot of conversation about going to grass-fed or going organic, that kind of a thing. But this this notion of heritage breeds is still relatively new and still hasn't quite been adopted across the board. And I think that people will see that they have more success on these uh on, when they are moving to grass-fed, if they're starting to use the heritage breeds. Uh, so having that conversation with farmers and seeing what they're doing, and honestly, there's, there's just not many people out there talk, raising heritage breeds. So the more people we can talk to and um, connect with to, to act as a resource and an outlet for them, as well as them you know, providing us with some really great product, that, that's my, my goal. So I was talking with um, the executive director of the American Grass-Fed Beef Association, and you know, we were talking about their kind of grass-fed certification process and how farmers can buy in to have that, like, label of certification on their on their products. Does anything like that, I don't think there there is, but is there anything like that for breeds? Or how do we deal with kind of, like, traceability as regards to, like, how do I know what breed I'm eating when I order from Heritage? Yeah, that's... That's such a good question, and it's one that comes up a lot. Um, I was just up at the Swiss Valley Farms with Patrick Martins 
uh, he was giving a talk on his book, The Carnivore's Manifesto, and someone asked him that question. And Swiss Valley Farms is actually uh, basically like a, a sperm bank for these heritage breeds, right? And um, so they, Patrick sort of put the question back on them and said, well, you guys are, you know, the scientists behind this. How are you doing it? And even they said... It's hard. You know, you, you have a lot of conversations with the farmers. Some breeds are easier. You've heard of the this, I think it's the six-spotted Berkshire, right? Right. So that, that's a giveaway. You know it's a pure Berkshire if it has those spots. If it doesn't have them, it's not a pure Berkshire. Not all the breeds are like that. So I think from our perspective, what we try and do is have a lot of conversations with the farmers. And, uh, you know, a lot of the farmers that we've been working with, we've been working with for over 10 years. So we're not... Um, you know, we, we know that they have genetics. We know where they got their genetics from. Um, and, and we have to fight really hard to make sure that we are having that conversation. Unfortunately, there isn't a regulation around it. Although maybe I shouldn't say unfortunately, because I'm not sure it would actually be helpful. I think it, unlike grass-fed, it's not like one one thing that you're enforcing, but you'd have to come up with a unique specification for each one. Right. And there are, there are these uh, sort of like, species registries right so the american poultry association you can register your breed with them and if it meets their standards then it's considered that purebred of whatever breed that is um but i think that 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 isn't always accessible to farmers so yeah well there i mean my understanding is that like with those breed registers that you would do that for like your boars or your sows Um, as a matter of course, but that is like having that essentially that genetic test and paying for that certification process, which can, I think, become onerous when you're already trying to um, have protocols in in so many other spaces. But um, definitely kind of like an interesting area. And and I guess that would be a great problem, right? If if consumers are demanding more breed transparency. Right. Yeah, I would love that. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think, you know, you are starting to see heritage popping up on menus at restaurants and and things. So I, I think there is probably going to be a little bit of demand as people become more educated about what that actually means. Just like, you know, there's sort of that like greenwashing idea, right? At what point is saying sustainable completely pointless because there's no justification for it? You know, I, I think that might become an issue with heritage, but right now it's still so... Uh, mi- I guess underrepresented that I'm not sure it's an issue presently. And I know, um, you know, at the, at the meat conference that you're going to be speaking, um, and tasting pig, but I'm wondering, have you, it's the same breed conversation between chickens or, or beef or, or pork or kind of other, like there's multiple breeds of every type of livestock. Do you feel like you notice changes or there, there's more availability or more diversity in one species versus another? That's a really interesting question. I think um, I think definitely with pork, for whatever reason, that is something that the heritage brand has really, that, that name has really stuck to. Um, and I think it's starting to with chickens. In my brain, that's sort of the next thing that I notice the most of. Less so with beef, and I think that is just because grass-fed is such a big ticket line um, with beef. Um, I feel like beef, you think of Angus and you think of maybe Kobe beef. Right. Like the main. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think people are now starting to learn that, uh, you know, grass grass fed is basically what they're looking for if they're looking for 
a specific style of raising or something like that. They're just, it's not quite at that level yet with the breed specificity. Interesting. So if folks want to kind of like learn more about heritage and your work and kind of follow this breed conversation, what's the best way for them to be in touch? Yeah, so heritagefoodsusa.com is our website. We're always posting blogs. Um, We're working really hard to get as many sort of taste notes up there. Actually really exciting. In about a month, we're going to be relaunching our website. Um, Just adding some really exciting content about the breeds, making it easier for people to understand uh, what their breed choices are and what the differences are. Um, and then at Slow Meat, you know, the, I know there's going to be a ton of social media around it. Um, we'll definitely be keeping everyone posted on what we're doing and the results we get from the tasting. Whenever we do tastings, we love to get the notes back from people, too, um, so that we can always sort of be adding to our, our lexicon of, of words around the, the breeds. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking some time out today. I know you have to hustle back to the warehouse. I think you guys are doing a tasting with the Roberta staff We today. are. We are. Yep. Super fun. Um, hang tight. We're going to move to a quick station break. And then Mary is going to switch seats with my co-producer on this series, uh, Megan Larmer from Slow Food USA, who will be in after the break. Hang tight. listening to now by spiral jetty club this is the farm report on heritage radio network the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app, the sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store.
right, we are back. You're tuned into the Farm Report, and in the second half of the show, we're joined in studio by Megan Larmer. She's the Associate Director of Strategic Initiatives for Slow Food USA and is my co-producer on this series. We're about halfway through um, kind of connecting with different folks along the meat spectrum and in anticipation of the Slow Meat Conference uh, in, out in Denver at the beginning of June. Megan, thanks for stopping in. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I was excited to get kind of the, the first pass at the more kind of filled out schedule for the event, which is up on your website. But let's give folks um, a little bit of information on that in just one second. But before we jump in, for anyone who has been living under the rock and like maybe isn't super familiar <laughs> with Slow Food USA, maybe you can give us the primer on, on who you guys are and what you do and, and why this meat thing is something that you... Uh, I want to say bit off for this year, but then I felt like nervous, but I said it anyway. So it's happened. It already happened. You can't avoid puns when you start talking uh, about meat in particular. I've noticed the food, food issues generally. Um, so Slow Food USA is the national association for the global slow food movement, um, which I'm sure most of your listeners are, are familiar with. Uh, the movement which started in northern Italy in the 80s. Um, and slow food began as a very grassroots movement in the U.S. and then was founded as a formal national association um, in 2000. So we've been around about 15 years now. And we work to uh, coordinate the various chapters and members and chefs and farmers that are working towards a world in which all people have access to food that is good, clean, and fair. Um, And we've found that that uh, mission has really taken hold to the point where it's so ubiquitous that it's a little hard for slow food even to claim it these days, um, which we think is really exciting. And the work of our grassroots network is really what leads our direction in this country um, and globally. So from our offices just right over here in Crown Heights, we try to coordinate the activities of those local leaders with the uh, international initiatives that are being set by slow food as well. We have um, an amazing variety of programs uh, and events that happen in um, far northeast India, in Shillong, in Korea, um, and in Denver, Colorado this June. So the impetus for discussing meat within the Slow Food Network really arose out of that grassroots leadership. We have um, a really strong team in Denver, a really strong local chapter. And for years, they'd been saying, you know, Slow food works a lot with um, farmers, with artisanal producers, and we know that's really important. But when they looked around their landscape, what they saw was ranchers and um, cattlemen and a need to bring those people into the food conversation. So they really started this push about 10 years ago. Uh, with an event called Westward Slow, in which they tried to pull in this community. Um, It turns out the Slow Food Network, much like the food movement, wasn't necessarily ready to take on the issue of meat uh, until really recently. It can be a really divisive topic. I've so enjoyed listening to the people you've been speaking with um, who have helped to build the, the Slow Meat programming and also the Slow Meat initiative within Slow Food. Um, because we're working towards a space where, you know, the, the paleo diet and the vegan and the rancher and the grain farmer all feel that the, it is safe to discuss the issues that are confronting us and to get away from the divisiveness and see the common goals that we're all working towards. 
So that's super exciting. Well, how did you come to Slow Food? So I uh, started my my life as a theater artist and was living in Chicago, running a little theater company there um, and waiting tables, as you do when you run a tiny theater company. Um, and I found myself more and more in the kitchen talking to the farmers that we were sourcing from. Um, I also found that the theater work I was doing was very community-oriented, very um, politically active. And so eventually I found myself also more and more in community gardens and these spaces of public um, interception, you know, public uh, consciousness raising. So I, I had begun to move into sort of the food world in that way and then spent a summer up in Vermont in Glover with the Bread and Puppet Theater Company. Um, oh, I love Bread and Puppet. I love them too. I, <laughs> I love them too. <laughs> um, and I kind of, I really went with this this question in my mind of like, is it the bread or is it the puppets? Which way am I going from here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, it turned out bread. I found myself again, always in the kitchen, always in the fields and uh, less often in rehearsal than probably the rest of the troupe would have liked. So from there, um, became more and more involved in it, ended up running a farmer's market, uh, became the local leader for our chapter in Chicago. Um, and because of my passion for uh, biodiversity and the preservation of um, specifically apples, but also other crops and, and vegetables, uh, found my way into the national office to work on that program. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it's been really interesting um, kind of working to identify the folks that I've been chatting with, and I'm looking forward to we have another full lineup um, taking us through the month of May uh, of great folks who are going to be out in Denver. As I said uh, earlier, the, the schedule has just been released. So give us some highlights for, for folks who, first of all, can folks still attend? How mm -hmm. can they attend? And then what are we looking forward to? Absolutely. So first of all, definitely there's still room to attend. There are two primary elements to Slow Meat. Uh, one being the symposium, which is really meant to be a gathering of thought leaders from across disciplines, much like this radio show has been leading up to it. Um, there are still rooms in it, room in the delegation to join that. You can go to our website, which is uh, www.slowfoodusa.org slash meet, um, and you'll find all the instructions for applying to the delegation there. And we want even more, more voices to join, especially... Um, I think it'd be very interesting to have some more of our urban leadership there. We have a really good representation right now of uh, producers. We have quite an international representation. We have folks coming from Cuba, Kenya, South Africa, Australia. Um, so it will be a really fascinating conversation. And that symposium um, will focus the conversation in a way that really leads us out into collaborative action together. So that's the purpose of that. Uh, and as you mentioned, the full schedule is on online there as well. And then the next part of it, the Saturday, will be um, a brand new thing for us. It's called the Slow Meat Fair, and this will be a public celebration of all the things um, that we hope to accomplish in the meat production consumption world in the U.S. So that, uh, let's see, I, I should talk about programming for each of them. I'm so excited <laughs> for both. Um, was there, is there one you think I should start with? Yeah. Uh, well, let's save the fair for the second half. Great. Let's talk about the, uh, the delegate space. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, we've focused the conversation around the three primary meat species, around chicken, pig, and cow. Um, and it was interesting, the conversations leading up to that structure, because uh, in slow food, we love nuance, we love holistic approaches, and it felt so reductive to just pin those three. And then we realized that actually that is, that's the leverage with which we um, acknowledge that's the, sort of the dominant thinking about meat and how do we talk about something more complicated. 
So within those um, three sections, we'll have four speakers on each of those topics. And I'm, I'm thrilled to have um, Eddie Mukibi, who is an agronomist from Uganda uh, and works with the pastoral communities there and is also the vice president of Slow Food International. He'll be giving a keynote to set the tone. Um, but then to give you a sense of what the variety of those conversations will be like, later in the day, he'll have a small breakout conversation around pastoral issues, specifically um, as they relate to cultural preservation with Aretta Begay, who is a leader in the Navajo Nation, working with the Churro sheep herders there. Um, some of the sort of bigger names we'll have, we have Nicolette Nyman joining us to talk about uh beef and how cattle rearing can be an important piece of um, sustainable agriculture. Yeah, I had her on earlier for folks who want to hear it's Defending Beef, her That's book. Right. It's like a book about beef written by a vegetarian. Right. <laughs> She's pretty radical. She has the best byline I've ever seen. It says like rancher, farmer, mother, lawyer. Um, and so she, de- she definitely brings all those, all those pieces to it. Um, Yeah, we have in the chicken panel, I'm really excited to have Craig Watts joining us, uh, who has been in the news quite a bit lately for his whistleblowing action against Purdue. Um, It's looking like, and I think this is another interesting part of the story, right now he'll probably have to join us by Skype because he's uh, under so much pressure and scrutiny on his farm that he actually feels um, kind of chained to it at the moment. So he'll be joining us. He's, he's got a fa- fascinating story to tell about his uh, advocacy work with Compassion and World Farming. Um, so they'll be there. We'll, of course, have the Fantastic Heritage Radio there. Uh, yay! yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and yeah. Will Harris, longtime supporter of the network. Yes, yes. He's a big fan of Will down in White, White Oak Pastures. Awesome. Yeah. So definitely like lots of different spaces for folks to tuck into. And you guys have also done a really nice job of kind of curating uh, additional experiences mm-hmm. if you come early or where to go to dinner. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like um, the Denver community seems like they've opened their arms really wide to make make folks coming out for the conference super welcome and to point us in some interesting directions. That's absolutely right. The, the community itself has been remarkable. It's openness to... Um, connecting national and international visitors with what it is to be in Denver. I think, you know, we kind of shy away from calling this a conference, though obviously that's the model we're following, Um, because there are so many things about conferences that are just awful. You know, the people there are usually great, but you often are sort of in this hotel, uh, you're stuck in this air-conditioned, you know, very sterile space. And we wanted to make sure that people coming to Denver knew that there's a reason Slow Meat's happening there and could see that work on the ground. So we've got some really cool tours going on Thursday before the symposium starts. Uh, a wonderful visit out to the Prairie Conservation Center to see the bison herds there. Um, we've got Adam Danforth, long time friend of, of Slow Meat and Slow Food, um, who just won the James Beard Award for his book on butchering. Yay, Adam. Yay, Adam, yeah. Um, and he'll be doing a humane sheep slaughter demonstration as one of those tours, uh, which I'm sorry is sold out, but there are many <laughs> other wonderful, wonderful events that you can you can go to. And the local restaurants have been so generous crafting um, slow meat themed menus for people to enjoy. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really a, a full experience for body, mind, and palate, of course. <laughs> well, it kind of makes a nice transition to the, the rest of the public facing program, which mm-hmm. is the fair. Mm-hmm. So um, like the, the song in Michigan is always like, going to the fair, going to the fair, <laughs> going to the Northwest Michigan fair, going to the fair. Um, so I just want to share that with you guys. Um, 
But what uh, what can fairgoers anticipate? What should we be looking forward to in that end? Man, that day is going to be so exciting. So we, we had the first slow meet last year, and it was purposefully really small, um, partly because Slow Food wasn't even sure if we belonged in that space, what was our, our voice in that space. And the um, energy and enthusiasm and direction coming out of that was so strong uh, that we said, okay, we have to do it again. We have to do it bigger. But this time we want... We want those ideas to really get out into the world also. Um, and one of the things Slow Food does really well is throw a good party. So we decided this is the right space to talk about joy and justice, to have them in the same physical space, and to invite the public in to see what these issues are that we're talking about. So we've got a variety of things going on there. We've got um, a bunch of amazing local producers from Denver who are coming to cook up sausages and hamburgers and uh, fantastic craft beer and cocktails will be available. And then we also have, you know, things that will um, increase your awareness of the global global meat issues. So we've got a speaker's tent, and I do want to mention the fair is totally free to the public. So everyone who's in the Denver area or might want to be should uh, think about coming on that Saturday from 11 to 5. Um, and in the speaker's tent, we'll have the same folks who are in the symposium sharing the... Um, most current issues that really are touching on pu- the public and on consumers around me. Uh, we're going to have Temple Grandin. Dr. Temple Grandin will open that day. And then we'll cover a wide range of topics, everything from um, faith communities and their approach to meat eating to uh, antibiotics usage in the poultry industry, which is such a huge concern right now with Tyson's recent announcement. Um, and then we'll have some workshops where you can uh, pay to learn from the experts about charcuterie, um, about the flavors of different breeds with Mary McCarthy, who was, who was just on. Uh, we'll be leading a really cool workshop pairing breeds with microbrews to talk about the flavors there. Um, and then, honestly, the thing that I'm probably most excited about is uh, the Terra Madre Kitchen. So the Terra Madre Network is how Slow Food talks about our really global reach, right? Um, and that network convenes in all kinds of different places around the world. And we are having a kitchen for them that will be um, opened with a blessing from the Navajo community and chefs coming from the Navajo Nation, South Africa, Mexico, um, and the American Southeast to cook up the foods that are, are traditional to their part of the world and share that with the public. Um, so it'll be, that'll be really cool. We're going to have like a little passport. You can go around and taste all the different flavors of, of slow meat. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, definitely like lots more to look forward to from the farm report as as we continue these conversations. And then um, we will be doing some rebroadcasting um, and some interviews while we're out out in the field. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit to um, a new thing I'm experimenting with on my show where I blatantly steal great ideas that other (laughs) podcasts have and repurpose them for my own, you know, joy. And, um, this month, I am I'm stealing from a great podcast I've just started listening to um, that comes out of the folks from uh, BuzzFeed called Another Round. And they do a segment um, where they talk about who they want to buy a round for. Um, it's just like a nice chance to kind of shout out someone who uh, or something or some event that is is giving you good feels. And, and so I'm going to start to give you a moment. Um but I want to buy around this week for the amazing uh, Alice Waters, who stopped by the Heritage Radio Network studios yesterday for lunch and then very generously um, threw down a great challenge. Uh, we're in the midst of our Kickstarter um, campaign, which ends Tuesday at 5 o'clock. And if you have not donated, what the heck, man? Get out there. <laughs> Seriously, get Donate. on it. Donate. Get on it. Um, 
But if you're if you're feeling you know flush with tax returns or um, flush just generally, Alice did offer uh, dinner for two at Chez Panisse with all the trimmings for the first person to um, back at the thousand dollar level. And not to be outdone, our, our friends here at Roberta's, um, the team at Blanca, matched that offer. So. Uh, if you want to have a great meal and, and definitely like ride in style in, in one of the two best restaurants in either coast, um, definitely check the page fast because I'm sure it's going to go quick. Um, but I want to buy a round for Alice and then I'm going to buy a round for the Blanca crew too. I'm going to buy two rounds because I'm just, I'm, I'm just like that. I'm just like that. Um, but um, maybe I'll kick it over to you, Megan. Who do you want to buy a round for this week? Man, this week, I have to say, I would really like to buy a round for my coworkers at Slow Food USA. Um, we have been going through a lot of transition in the office, and we've been really looking towards a new vision for Slow Food, making some really tough decisions. Um, but in the time that I've worked with them in the last two years, these are some of the most dedicated, passionate, and consistently um, cheerful and kind human beings I've ever known in my life. And I, I think they deserve at least a round for that. All right. Rounds around. Um, definitely um, stay tuned for future episodes of the Farm Report. You can follow me on Twitter. It's Aaron underscore Fairbanks. You can also find out what's happening more broadly at the network by following us at Heritage underscore radio. Megan, thank you so much for taking some time to um, give us the update. Definitely looking forward to hanging more in Denver. If folks want to follow the conversation before then, what's the best way for them to stay in touch? Uh, so they can definitely find us on your usual social media outlets on the Twitter and the Facebook. Um, and also just keeping up on our website. We're posting new stuff to the schedule literally every day. Um, so it's, it's worth visiting. Any questions you have, you can also just shoot an email to slowmeat at slowfoodusa.org. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for listening. Jump on. Back that Kickstarter today, 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 today. <laughs> you don't want to make that mistake of waiting too late and missing your opportunity to be part of our website rebuild. It's going to be awesome, and it's for you. So please um, make a contribution. Five, bu- five bucks is awesome. Any amount helps. Um, really appreciate it. Until next week, this has been Aaron Fairbanks from The Farm Report. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.